0: it's the next level what do you have in your pocket monster in my pocket they're here they're everywhere they're squishy monster in my pocket new from matchbox About being killed. Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature
1: subject matter. Discretion is advised. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. New trailer for the movie going straight to Netflix. What do you know? trailer comes out and there's very little spoiled in this trailer. It's how you do a trailer. Not going to lie, I really wasn't overly amped for a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. So watching the trailer, it didn't really worry me either way. But, I mean, how do you pronounce his name? Fidi Alvarez? He did the Evil Dead quote-unquote reboot. The soft reboot or whatever you want to call it. And I mean, that was solid was pretty good no it wasn't ash williams and that's obviously what most fans want when it comes to evil dead but it was still good so maybe i don't know maybe this texas chainsaw massacre will actually be a pretty solid movie but that's how you do a trailer i mean you tease a little you fondle the audience with just a little taste and then you end the damn thing And let everyone fester over it. That's how a trailer should be done. I'm not sure if I really care that a new movie is coming out. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably one of the lower end uh, remakes, reboot, sequels kind of thing that I am kind of so-so about. I do know Sally Hardesty returns. That was announced. So I'm cool about that. But do I really care for another Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie? Especially now this one is doing like what so many franchises are doing now where it's a direct sequel to the first movie. Which, didn't they already do this? (laughs) I don't know. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is becoming even more confusing than Halloween. Uh, And actually Halloween, I'm pretty good at keeping with those timelines. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. This movie, it can't be worse than the last few, can it? I mean, (laughs) I should watch what I say, but... And, I mean, you got to think about it. Talk about these reboot sequels and remakes and everything. I mean, what are we at now? So we have Halloween is doing their thing. Scream is coming back. Hellraiser is coming back. Obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Jeepers Creepers is in the works. Apparently, Victor Salva has nothing to do with this, but he's going to get royalties. So, I mean, whatever. You take that with whatever grain of salt you want. You have... Train to Basan is getting an Americanized version. Gangeum Haunted Asylum is getting an Americanized version. Candyman has been sort of added on to Evil Dead. Obviously, we have Evil Dead Rises. Plus, we just had Ash vs. Evil Dead, the three-season series. Chucky Season 2 has been confirmed. Wow, it's like everything I grew up with as a kid is all coming back. Where's Amityville and The Omen? Um, no, I, actually, all that's missing is, what, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, hmm, Maybe it's best to just move on from those two. Yeah, let's do that. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, it's a ho-ho-ho, another Christmas Axmas episode of What Lurks, what lurks behind, looks behind Podcast Zero. Behind zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And this week's episode is a listener request. Haven't done one of those in a while. From TJ the Drummer. Uh, He's an avid listener to the show, so obviously when he requests something, I'm usually like, yeah, I'll do it eventually, I'll get to it. And he requested this... I want to say back in September or August. I, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I don't keep track of these things. But I do know that he requested this a while back. And I said I would definitely do it at Christmas time. So we're doing it today. This is an episode that's going to be fun as hell to talk about. This movie is a fucking riot. From 2005, starring the WWE wrestler himself, Bill Goldberg. Yes, we're doing it. Santa Slay. But first, because I always got to do this. Okay, so this is actually a very interesting episode because I didn't realize it when I was putting it together. But all four movies that I will talk about this episode are all Christmas related. And it was totally unplanned because the one movie that I'll be talking about, I actually didn't realize it at first. I'm like, oh, hey, wait, that's a Christmas movie, too. But before we get to that one. I want to talk about a 2021 Shutter exclusive. Uh, it's a Belgium flick called The Advent Calendar. I saw the preview for it on Shudder. Oh, maybe about three days before it was released. And it kind of caught my attention. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Um, like I said, it's a holiday film from Belgium. I don't, it's a Christmas movie because it takes place in December and you sort of see a Christmas tree, but the movie is kind of weird. It's, it's a Christmas movie, but it's sort of not because of the story. Anyways, the whole advent calendar thing is, is it's a story about Eva who's a paraplegic. Um, she gets this like German wooden, uh, advent calendar on her birthday from her best friend. And each day she opens the door. There's a candy inside. And on top of that, the advent calendar affects her life each day, sometimes in a good way, but mostly in a bad way, or there's, there's a twist to everything, right? So it's kind of interesting. She is warned from the very beginning. If you eat the first candy, you now have to finish the advent calendar. You cannot stop halfway. Right there, you kind of get the idea that, okay, the stakes are going to be pretty high in this, but she chances it anyways. Eats the first candy, and I believe it's up. Like, keep in mind, she's a paraplegic, right? And I think it's when she gets to the fourth candy, they're reading this like little riddle that comes with it, and it says something about like Jesus says, Arise and walk. And it's like almost feels at first like it's a slap in her face, like, Hey, I'm a paraplegic, and you're telling me that with this candy, I can walk, but as the as the advent calendar progresses on, you start to realize that as long as she does what the rules say for each candy at the end of this, she could walk again. And she gets tempted with the idea of, can I walk and, you know, be a dancer again and enjoy life again, but how much will I have to sacrifice to get there? And it's, it's an interesting movie. Um, Not so much a special effects movie. uh, Very light on the special effects. Very story driven. So, of course, there are some people that, you know, especially on Shudder, I think sometimes there's the misconception with Shudder that everything is blood and gore. (laughs) Not everything is. Like, sometimes it's a story based idea or it's not so much horror. Sometimes it's just it's unsettling or it's disturbing, which is kind of what this movie is. I wouldn't say that this movie is scary. I mean, the the entity within the advent calendar is kind of cool looking and demonic, but it really isn't, I wouldn't call this a horror movie. If anything, it's kind of a thriller or a suspense film. Still really well done, though, very well shot. It's a gorgeous looking film and great use of music. The music isn't overbearing, but at the same time just helps the environment to feel that bit more creepier Um, as I said like the thing is is that they call it a Christmas movie because it's the advent calendar goes from 1 to 24 in the month of December I get that Uh, but there's really not much to suggest that this is a Christmas movie I guess you could also look at it from the angle of with this advent calendar could come the miracle of her walking again and because she could walk originally she was in an accident and that's what took her legs away from her so i mean yeah it's it's one of those films it's kind of like it's a christmas movie but it's not and it's but it still works very well it's an excellent movie uh i really enjoyed it the second one that i took in though that was easily more a christmas movie um but at the same time, it was less serious. Like, okay, with Advent Calendar, there's there's like a heavy sense of, um, of almost like dread to the movie as it progresses on. At first, it's not so bad. But as things keep going on, you're like, oh, I don't know if I'd want to make that decision, you know, based on what each candy would offer her and whatnot. With this second film that I watched called Red Snow. It's another 2021 film. Um I actually saw it early. Uh, well, it, it's it came out earlier this year in uh, like the film festivals and whatnot, and now it's slowly starting to make its way in the digital world. And that's how I happened to see it. And I'm not gonna lie, this is one of those where the poster kind of pulled me in. It was a it was a cool looking poster, cabin out in the woods in the snow, and in the clouds you see like a silhouette of like a vampire. And I was like, mm, all right, that's kind of cool. And then it says red snow on it. it not, not like the greatest movie poster I've ever seen, but it, it was enough to grab me. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And the thing is, is that with vampire films, especially, it, it, I find with vampire films right now, we're sort of at a point where the market is very oversaturated with um, repetitiveness. And Mediocrity. I find that. Vampires. Especially with TV. And you got your True Bloods. Your Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And um, Buck. I don't even remember all of them. I mean there were so many at one point, And it seemed like vampires were just the big thing. And now obviously Zombies is the other one. Where it's like everywhere you turn. It's something to do, to do with Zombies. So Vampire films sometimes I'm like. Eh, I don't know. Do I really want to? But then. I'll get that odd experience where film just sort of catches me, like Bliss is one that was very differently done, and I enjoyed it. A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night was another one. So then I watch this, and I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And actually, I can add Red Snow to that list of vampire films that's done just differently enough that it wasn't boring. Um, It wasn't the whole love, love, blah, 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 die, die, die thing. You know, Uh, it's not Twilight. It's not, you know it had something different to offer. And I mean, the basic premise of it is it's a novelist goes on a small retreat in Lake Tahoe. And while she's up there and, you know, she's been struggling with writing a book. So she figures the solitude will help her write a new book while she's up there. That solitude is stripped away from her. (laughs) When a bat flies into her cabin, basically, and gets injured, she thinks she's helping a bat, you know, they even have this funny scene where it's like she's putting a Band-Aid on it. It looks kind of funny. Um, but anyways, all of a sudden she hears this big bang in the room where she left the bat to find out that it's now it's a, it's a human. It, it, well, a vampire, you know? And she's like, oh, shit, what do I do? And, you know, so she nurses him back to health again. And the, the question she's now left with is, can he be trusted? You know, is he going to turn on her or will they bond and become friends or more even, you know, like you sort of get this feeling like she's totally enamored by it. Like she she finds him like very intriguing and interesting, especially being she's a vampire novelist. Right. So she's got questions and she wants she wants to know, Okay, like, you know, everything we've been told by Hollywood what's real and what isn't and stuff like that. Almost sort of like Interview with the Vampire. It does have a bit of that feel to it, but then this goes and does something completely off the rails and it's like, okay, we're we're no longer in Interview with the Vampire territory. Uh, the dialogue in this one is really well done. Very natural, very real feeling. You don't get this feeling like it's actors portraying roles. Like It feels like you're actually eavesdropping in on a conversation. Um it's a very low budget film, but it does the best with what it has and makes it work in droves. Like, again, uh, not a lot of special effects, but when there's special effects all done in practical effects and done very well, uh, it's definitely worth a viewing. And this one, like I said, is definitely more Christmas feeling uh, than the advent calendar. There's obviously more to imply that this is her on a Christmas vacation getting away from you know the everyday craziness of the city life and whatnot the two leads in this film are both uh this is their first feature film and i'm talking about uh denise Cisneros cisneros and nico bellamy and both are awesome for for being their first film ever it like first film debut it was like wow like this is really good um they're, they're pretty damn good. Vernon Wells, who is a veteran actor for movies like Commando, Fortress, Inner Space was another one. Um, in this film, he's the vampire hunter. He's the guy who's out to get the vampires. And he does it pretty good, actually. I feel he's a little underused, but not horribly. He's quite good in the film, nonetheless. Uh, would I say this one would become a Christmas tradition? Eh, not so sure about that. I mean, i I definitely watch this every other year if I didn't watch it every year. Um, it wouldn't hurt to add it to the Axmas list. Uh, but, I mean, because you do have the setting and the score as well. The score is kind of cool because it's creepy, but at the same time, there are traditional Christmas songs that sort of get woven into it. Uh, it's done quite well, actually, and very colorful, uh, much like I've been saying the last couple of weeks with different movies, how the colors pop, uh, definitely with this one as well. So absolutely, it wouldn't hurt to add it to your Christmas watching list every year. Uh, like I said, if you get to it every other year, it's just as good nonetheless, but it's definitely fun, definitely interesting, and I am curious to see where Denise Cisneros and Nico Bellamy go from here because both were extremely entertaining to watch. Now. Okay, so before we get to Santa Slay, there's a movie I want to talk about, not horror related, but it needs to be spoken about. And for those of us who have, you know, grew up in the 80s and we, you know, we loved our Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and your Chuck Norris films. And, you know, Steven Seagal and whatnot. Uh, Sylvester Stallone gets thrown in that mix as well, right? Uh, Br- uh, Bruce Willis is another one as well. Uh, but Sylvester Stallone. And we've known for, I'd say I've known for about a year, I think, that there was this rumor, this story that was going around that he was going to do a director's cut of Rocky Four and i get it not everyone is going to love this but i have to say this okay so i've always known being i am a huge rocky fan i love all the films including the original rocky 4 but let's be honest here rocky 1 is very story driven very dramatic rocky 2 same thing rocky 3 had a bit of humor but still at its core it was a solid film about friendship about bonds about perseverance and it was a draw it was a drama nonetheless then you get rocky 4 rocky 4 comes along and it's like the mtv video with a lot of bad humor and we're implying that paulie has sex with a robot so rocky 4 always was like sort of the redheaded stepchild i know people hate that expression but it was like the one that stood out it just didn't fit and I was like alright and then Rocky 5 again brought it back to its roots I know a lot of people didn't like that but Rocky 5 still was a story driven drama Um and then Rocky 6 Rocky Balboa basically same thing so Rocky 4 always kind of stood out and Sylvester Stallone had said he wanted to re-edit and re-release the film and he did just that now the funny thing is is that When it comes to the original films, Rocky IV was actually my second favorite. Even though it stands out, I think that's kind of why I always liked it. Uh, So it was kind of weird because the first one is always my ultimate. Uh, The first Rocky, you will never top that. Don't even try Uh, because it's easily the best of them all. But part four has always been a gem in my eyes, even though it was the one that stood out. Then we take this director's cut. Much of the camp and the humor from the original, gone, cut, right out of the fucking movie. What's put in its place, though, is nothing to be upset about. Now, you got to keep in mind, this movie, they took, basically, Sylvester Stallone took about 40 minutes out of this movie and put 42 new minutes into this movie. And uh, some, of the, some of the added scenes are actually just different angles. Of the same scenes that were already in the film. Some of it's just been rearranged. Um, There's a talk between Rocky and Apollo. Right before Apollo fought Drago. That that whole conversation. Well not whole conversation. But a big portion of that conversation. Actually got moved to the end of the film. As a flashback. And it's done very cleverly. Um, There's... The thing that I like about this film, the reason why I think the director's cut is going to stand out and I think the more people, that's, I think more people that see it are going to appreciate it is the emotional bonds and the motives of each of the characters has been fleshed out a lot more now. And there's a lot more Apollo in this version. Obviously, to a degree, we get it. He still dies. Um, and we get to see more inside the mind of Rocky. Like I said, there's that one conversation between Apollo and Rocky, they've now tacked that to near the end of the film and used it as a flashback inside Rocky's mind. Uh, It's done very well to show that Rocky, going into that fight with Drago, is very conflicted. Uh, Going into the fight between Apollo and Drago, he was very conflicted, and it, it, it highlights on that more. But what this movie does best, something that really... Helped me enjoy it a lot more is the character of Adrian Adrian in the original always came off as just being the little debbie downer that everything Apollo or Rocky wanted to do. she was just against it. She seemed like she was just nag nag nag, and obviously we understand she cares about them that was that didn't need to be shown it would you know, but in this version. They really show her concerns a lot more, and it shows that not only that she was concerned, but that the reason she's so concerned is because she cares so much for both of them. And they really highlight that a lot more, making Adrian's character so much more powerful in this movie than just, Apollo, I don't think you should fight him. Rocky, I don't think you should fight him. You can't win. Blah, blah. And I mean, some of those lines are still in there, but they're fleshed out with more lines or more lines of dialogue around them that make her character so much better. In my opinion, it really helped this movie so much. Uh, The musical montages that everyone always talks about, they're still there. Um, Including probably one of the greatest 80s songs of all time, No Easy Way Out by Robert Tepper. Uh, <laughs> easily, in my opinion, one of the greatest, I put it right up there with, um, Tim Feehan's Where's the Fire, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. I mean, there are certain movies that had those songs that just stood right the fuck out and No Easy Way Out is another one. Um, the film, obviously 4K restoration, so it looks gorgeous, very vibrant, I, and I'm not gonna lie. I know there are some people that are gonna hate this film. They're gonna hate what Sylvester Stallone has done. Oh, why did you chop it up? This and that. It's gonna happen. But I think there's many people that are that will appreciate what Stallone has done with it. Uh, there, there will never come a day when I won't watch the original. But at the same time, I bought this one through iTunes because you can't get it physically right now, and I'm glad I did. I will definitely be watching this one several times more just to take it all in again it's definitely more emotionally driven and like i said it now within the saga of the six films i'm not including the creed films even though i could because basically they're they're completely added into that world as well but within just the rocky films um i find this director's cut Gives it that better flow, it now feels like six dramatic films without the one in the middle that had the um, you know, Polly being really (laughs) attached to that robot. Um, The robot scenes, by the way, gone completely gone. You never even know that robot was a part of the movie. So, hey, if I look at Rocky 4, and I've always said Rocky 4 for me was like sort of like a, a nine out of 10. Just because of the, I think it's more the, the nostalgia and the memories that come with that movie than anything else. Uh, This one is definitely an eight and a half out of 10 for me. Um, I definitely put it up there as an amazing flick. And if you haven't seen it, absolutely watch it. I know I kind of spoiled a few things, but who cares? It's now time. So we're going to go from Sylvester Stallone to Bill fucking Goldberg, okay? Uh, <laughs> this movie, my God. And it's convenient that I'm reviewing this movie because just last night, uh, every year I do this traditional thing, me and a couple friends, we get together and we do what we call you know, Christmas Horror Night or Horror Christmas Night. It would flip-flop it whichever way you want where we, we do a marathon of two or three movies, usually about three movies, and they usually let me pick the movies because I've seen so many of these damn things. But anyway, so last night I decided to introduce them, my friends, to Deadly Games, um, which is a movie I'll be talking about later on this season. Uh, we watched Black Friday because they hadn't seen it. I had. I was like, you guys got to see this movie. It's fucking great. And then we watched this movie. It's a movie with uh, a killer Santa Claus that is just all sorts of fun and fucking vulgar and raunchy and it's done so well and it's just it's a joy to watch. When you watch it with friends, it's even better. Uh, we're going to do the trailer timeout and when we return, we're going back to 2005. A little Canadian flick. Well, they say Canadian-American, but let's face it, it was all filmed in Alberta. This movie, Santa Slay, when we come back. Back in a splat, kids.
0: Grandpa, I want the truth about Christmas. If it's the truth you want, then it's the scary truth you're gonna have. According to the Book of Claus, Santa, Satan's only son, lost a bet and was forced to spread Christmas cheer. But now. All bets are off. Oh my god! Santa? Yes, there is a Santa Claus. Oh, ho, hoes! Santa Claus is not a myth or a legend, he's real. Only he's not bearing gifts and presents anymore. Christmas can sure scare the dickens out of people. He's scary, yet educational. I'm just trying to spread a little Yuletide fear. Are you saying Santa is offing everyone who's naughty and nice? Oh, my God! Nicholas shot him! You <laughs> shot Santa? <laughs> Get away! Santa's on the loose! This holiday season... Oh, oh! oh. your doors Ah! hold the windows Ah! oh grandpa got run over by a reindeer everyone stand back things are about to get a little messy and block the chimney cause naughty or nice santa claus Ah! is coming to town santa's sleigh go ahead kid let's see what santa got you i hate children
1: you know before you mock children who still believe in santa remember there are still adults who believe everything they read on social media just let that sink in for a moment yeah uh my mom posted something similar to that today on her social media feed and it got me thinking about i was like yeah it's quite true i don't know if i've told you guys the story on here but um I'm going to embarrass the fuck out of myself because it's kind of funny, actually. But I was one of those kids that was just like very naive. <laughs> so I believed in Santa Claus till I was almost 11 years old. 11 or 12, actually. Uh, I was really stupid, uh, pretty much because so different from my character of who I am today. Uh, back then, I didn't question anything. <laughs> Uh, you told me that santa came through the radiator i believed you if you told me that santa had a universal key that could unlock every door in the world i believed you uh (laughs) i think it was partially i'm not gonna lie when i was a kid i was also quite greedy uh i wanted all the toys of all the world and just give me more and more and more i was a spoiled brat i'm not gonna lie so I think partially my belief in Santa Claus was because I figured if I stopped believing, I wasn't getting gifts anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm that kid you used to see in all, you know, you see him in all the movies where there's that spoiled kid who gets whatever they wanted, which is weird because I didn't always get what, everything I wanted, but I just, I assumed, believe in Santa Claus, that means I get most of my list. Um, <laughs> nowadays, I'm like... <sighs> don't ask me what I want just you know get me a nice little Funko or something even though it's weird I'm not a Funko person I'm really not but in the past what three months I think I bought like eight Funkos it's kind of fucked up because I really don't care for them but the horror ones I'm not gonna lie they're cute I actually like the little leather face and I have both Cenobites I have the Pinhead and the Chatterer and they're adorable. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of fucked up because normally I think the Funko thing is like a little too over the top these days. But anyways, let's get on to something else that's over the top. Let's get on to our listener request. A great, a great movie to talk about this episode. Oh fuck. This is an awesome movie. It's interestingly enough, it's listed as a Canadian American film, but actually i the, I'm going to have to say it's a Canadian film. It was filmed entirely in Alberta from 2005 Santa Sleigh. And the film premiered theatrically. Very minor theatrical release in Canada October 25th, 2005. The US, however, did not see a premiere for the film until December 20th in 2005, uh it was released on DVD by Lionsgate in the United States, which also at the same time in Canada, the movie was also released on DVD uh, by Maple Pictures, and I believe I read somewhere that in 2008, uh, the Maple Pictures um, edition that was out was discontinued, and Lionsgate re-released it in Canada under their, their label now, so um, anyways if we're going to call, if if we're going to give it a release date, let's say December 20th, 2005, even though, like I said, there was this tiny little theatrical release in Canada that it really didn't make a lot of money. Um, but again, kind of weird thing. And we do this in Canada for some reason, black Christmas was the same thing. We release Christmas movies in October when they're horror films. I I release them at Christmas time. Okay. There are people that like horror films in December. I'm one of them. Uh, Anyway, Santa sleigh was written and directed by David Steinman. Sadly, it's the only movie he wrote and directed. Um, He was primarily known for his assistant work on films that Brett Ratner did. Films like Inspector Gadget, Castaway, Rush Hour 2, Red Dragon. Uh, but yeah, i This is his only film that he wrote and directed, and I almost feel like that's a goddamn shame, because (laughs) I would have loved to have seen what else David would have created. Uh, Hopefully, maybe down the road he does more. This movie was produced by Brett Ratner, along with Douglas Steedon, Sammy Lee, and Matthew Leonetti. Leonetti is also the cinematographer for this film, and he has 90 film credits to his name, Some of them are some pretty big name movies too, like we're talking like Poltergeist the original from 1982, uh, Fast Times at Richmond High, The Ice Pirates, uh, Weird Science, Commando... A classic that nobody talks about these days, and I wish we put more focus on it. It's a great comedy known as Jumping Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. I swear to God, I never hear people talk about this movie, and I grew up loving the shit out of that movie. Uh, Leonetti also did uh, Red Heat, another 48 hours, Strange Days, and he worked on 2004's uh, Zack Snyder flick, Dawn of the Dead. The music for this film, sadly, another Christmas soundtrack, score soundtrack, whatever, not released anywhere. What a bummer. I wish they would release more of these things. Vinyl, digital, I don't care, just release them. Anyways, music was done by Henning Lohner. Uh, He's also done music for many documentaries and short films. But he has done a few other feature films like The Ring 2. Hellraiser, Deader, Blood Rain—should uh, I have mentioned that one? Oh well, whatever. I did, and uh, he did a little movie called Night Train uh, that starred Danny Glover, Lily Sobieski, and Steve Zahn. Haven't seen it though. I'm not gonna lie, but when I found out about it, I'm like, hmm, I remember hearing about that one. I never did get to it, and I wish I had because apparently it's rated pretty high too. Now, let's go to our starring cast of this wonderful little holiday flick. Let's start with the big man. Let's start with Mr. Bill Goldberg as Santa Claus. Not the Santa Claus that you know, though. Uh, Definitely not. But where do we know Bill from? Obviously, WCW Wrestling and WWE Wrestling, obviously. But he's been in other movies and stuff. He was in Looney Tunes Back in Action. Uh, The Longest Yard, that was the remake with uh, Adam Sandler. uh, A couple of football stars were in there as well, I believe. Um, Well, Michael Irvin was, I remember that. I saw this movie once. <laughs> That's it. So I'm guessing on a few of these names cuz I'm like, were they in that movie or not? I thought um no, I'm wrong. He's not in it. I'm thinking of uh, uh any given Sunday, Lawrence Taylor. I was thinking he's in it, but I don't think he is. Uh I can't remember. like I said, I saw it once. Uh I remember Michael Urban was in it. Let's move on. I'm making a fool of myself here. Uh, Bill Goldberg was also in a movie, uh, American Satan, and he was Coach Nick on the TV series, The Goldbergs. Our two younger stars. So first we have Douglas Smith as Nicholas Yulson. God, you gotta love that name. Anyways, uh, Nicholas has also been in movies like Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters, Stage Fright... Uh, Ouija, Terminator Genesis, poor soul, (laughs) and he was in TV series like The Alienist and Clarice. Clarice is the one that's uh, Silence of the Lambs continuation or whatever. Actually, I think, isn't Clarice the prequel, I believe? And then we have Emily de Raven, or is it Robin or Raven? I think it's... Raven um anyways she plays Mary Mackenzie Emily you guys would probably know as a matter of fact even when I was when I introduced this movie to my friends last night right away they were all like we've seen her before where's she from well she's from Roswell if you remember that tv series she was in the Hills Have Eyes remake she was in the movie Public Enemies with Johnny Depp or you guys probably know her from the Lost tv series or she played Belle on Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time is a weird show, because I actually enjoyed it, even though it was totally not in my wheelhouse. But I did watch, I think it was the first four seasons before I kind of fizzled off from it, but... Again, weird, because it's not really my kind of show, and I actually didn't mind it. Or, well, in the beginning, anyways. Okay, so... We have Grandpa in this. Gramps is awesome. He's played by a TV classic hero known as Robert Culp, and every time I see Robert, the first thing that pops into my head is Greatest American Hero. A fucking show is something I, I watched that religiously as a kid growing up. So whenever I see him in anything, automatically I'm like Greatest American Hero. He was uh, Bill Maxwell. You know, and I just spit that off all the time. He was also in another Christmas horror film. He was in Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, Better Watch Out, which... Okay, I like the Silent Night, Deadly Night series, but part three is the boring one. And I totally forgot that. And, like, I I think I even talked about this last episode. Bill Mosley's in this goddamn movie, and it's still, it's boring to me. But Robert Culp was in it, too, so give it kudos for the names it got. It's just not, it's kind of boring. Uh, Dave Thomas, Dave Thomas, great Canadian actor plays pastor Timmons. Oh, and he gets killed. It's awesome. But anyways, uh, where do we know Dave from? We know him from SCTV, uh, strange brew. You know, he's part of Bob and Doug McKenzie. Uh, the movie stripes with Bill Murray. Uh, he was in Follow That Bird and Sesame Street movie, and I remember it. Uh, he was in the Coneheads. That's a great movie. Um, Grace Under Fire, the TV series. Uh, I mean, to be honest, many appearances on countless TV shows. <laughs> He's uh, very famous in the TV world, but yeah, SCTV. God, what a gem that show was. Saul Rubinek as Mr. Green. And he was also in a little horror film from 1980 known as Death Ship that starred George Kennedy, Richard Crenna, and Nick Mancuso, as well as Mr. Rubinek. He was also in the movie Against All Odds. Uh, Wall Street. True Romance, and Nixon, to name a few. To be honest, he doesn't do... Death Ship, I think, was the only other horror film he had done. He does a lot of dramas, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. Our guest stars, because there's... (laughs) This movie opens up with a lot of big names. Uh, You have James Caan. You have Rebecca Gayhart, you have Chris Kattan, Fran Drescher, Alicia Loren, and Annie Sorrell. They play the Mason family. That the the great opening scene to this film. They are the family having the Christmas dinner. Uh, and again, like all big names, I mean James Caan, Rebecca Gayhart, Chris Kattan, and Fran Drescher. Just like right there, you're like, what movie am I watching? All of a sudden, we have like these huge names. One other famous person in this film is Tom Tiny Lister. Uh he was a gas he's the gas station attendant. Um and wow, I didn't write down any of the movies he was in, but you know him. You know him to see him. He's uh Dark Knight. He's uh the prisoner that's on the boat that takes the trigger basically and throws it out the window and he says, you know, I'll do what you should have done 15 minutes ago. Yeah, that guy. He you every time you see his face you're like i know that guy i know him from somewhere i know him from countless movies yep he was the other guest star in this film the runtime is an hour and 18 minutes long i love the short films oh some of them are just great because you know the pacing is just gonna be quick and done um rated r for violence language and nudity Filmed in Alberta, Canada, and it was released on DVD. No Blu-ray release. What a shame. Uh, You can get it digitally, though, and currently it is uh, being streamed through Plex for free. It used to be on Tubi. It might still be in the United States. I don't know. But I know here in Canada it's not on Tubi anymore. But we can get it through Plex. The worldwide gross, keep in mind I did say very, very minimal theatrical release, uh, the the gross was $7,000. I think it was only at film festivals it was actually shown. I don't think it was anywhere else. Synopsis for this movie. Oh, what a gem. What a gem. It turns out that Santa Claus is not really the sweet old fellow that we all know and love. In fact, he's a devil. And the only thing that's kept his bad side in check was a bet he lost with an angel. After a thousand years of playing nice, the bet is up. And Santa is about to open a can of whoop-ass. The only glimmer of hope comes from an old man with a secret. His grandson and his girlfriend. Brace yourself for one really bad Santa bent on spreading holiday fear. And for this segment of the show, scary yet educational. Fucking love that line. Oh my God. The dialogue in this movie is so fucking quotable. And it's all cheesy puns on Christmas storybooks and songs and things that you just associate with Christmas. Bill Goldberg must have been in his fucking heaven doing this movie. A little bit of trivia before I get into uh, what I feel about this movie. Because I haven't made that pretty obvious already. But anyways, uh, while never truly confirmed. And this is something I was looking all over for to find out if this was a confirmed thing or not. This movie may have been inspired by this. It may not have been. But if you all remember a little movie that came out in 1988 called Ernest Saves Christmas... There's a movie being made within that movie called Santa Slay. So I was looking everywhere. I assume that had to have tied into it somewhere or another, but I don't know. I couldn't find anything to actually confirm that. But yes, in Ernest Saves Christmas, the movie they're making within that movie is Santa Slay. Wanda Ferritin who is a stunts person for this movie. She did some of the stunts. She actually uh, she wanted to join on in this film because she kind of made a mistake. She thought that Jeff Goldblum was the starring actor in this movie, and she would really wanted to meet Jeff Goldblum. So when she found out about the filming and whatnot, she totally jumped on board. She's like, I'll do stunts, you know, I welcomed myself to this wonderful flick. She didn't, probably didn't even know what the story was about. She just heard Jeff Goldblum's name and was like, I'm in. How many women wouldn't be? Um, however, when the shoots began, she found out that the lead actor was actually Bill Goldberg. As fate would have it, though, she and Bill ended up falling in love, and several months after meeting on the set of Santa sleigh, they were married. So how's that for, like, a fluke, right? You totally go in thinking you're going to meet one man, you meet another, and you still fall in love with him anyways. They actually have one child, and they are currently still married to this day. So how awesome is that? It's a nice little love story within this wretched B-movie of fucking hilarity. Another thing about Bill Goldberg, uh, him and Emily DeRaven, they both share a birthday. Uh, December 27th is actually their birthday, which is kind of coincidentally two days after this holidays, movies, you know, Christmas Day thing. So, yeah, they're both uh, December 27th, which is is Sagittarius. I think it is. I could be wrong. Does, uh, Does it honestly matter? Not really. The body count for this film. So here's an interesting thing. 41 dead fucking bodies. (laughs) But the first victim, however, in the movie is not human. Nope. It's the dog that gets punted into the ceiling fan. And I normally would not condone condone any harm to animals. You know me. I'm big softy when it comes to animals. But my God, that scene cracks me up every fucking time. (laughs) Oh, it's just funny. What is it? A little Pomeranian. And you just see Santa go. Bang! Into the ceiling, he goes. Totally like Gremlins, but it's kind of cool about this movie too because I do notice there's little hints that are almost nods to other films and that always reminds me of Gremlins. But I mean, okay, so let's talk about that opening scene, right? So you have the Mason family, played by all Jewish actors. And it's sort of like they're like... um I guess it's like a it's sort of like a hidden joke within the actors or whatever. They were all Jewish. You have James Kahn, Rebecca Gayhart, Chris Kattan, Fran Drescher, Alicia Loren, and Annie Sorrell are all Jewish actors doing this Christmas scene, having this Christmas dinner. And I mean, and then of course, what you have uh, Fran Drescher's character. She plays Virginia. She's supposed to be married to James Kahn's character, Darren. I think. But she's flirting with Chris Catan, who is Jason Mason. I love that, Jason Mason. Um, Which is weird because he's supposed to be with Alicia Loren's character, Beth. Beth Mason, I'm assuming she's married into the family. Or was he married into the family? Because I assume he must have married into the family. Because Fran Drescher would have been Beth's mother. And because it would be really fucked up if she's like flirting with her son. Right. And he's like fondling her between her legs and shit like that. So, I mean, this is a really fucked up family dynamic. Like there's some weird shit going on here. And then the next thing you know, jolly old St. Nick comes down that chimney and busts through the fucking brick and mortar. And right from this moment, you know that shit is about to hit the fan. And if that doesn't happen, well, the dog hit the fucking fan <laughs> punted like a football. And all hell breaks loose. What? Uh, Virginia, her her hair goes up in flames. She's bald. And James gets stabbed in both hands. James Connie gets stabbed in both hands. And then he has a turkey shoved down his throat. Joker style almost. Like with the pencil. I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Well, Santa's like, I'm going to make this turkey leg disappear. Bang! And it's fucking total hilarity. And then after that, we meet ne- Nicholas and Mary. I mean, you have your credit scene, which also... So during the credit scene, some people have caught it. Some people haven't. They show like the, it's supposed to show like the history of Santa. But if you actually look at the lettering of the writing in the book, it's just a bunch of letters thrown on the screen, except that hidden within each shot is whoever the cast member, the director, the writer, whoever their name is hidden and you have to find it within the lettering. It's kind of cool actually. Um, but after the credits, then we meet Nicholas and Mary, our two protagonist lovers. Um, well, kind of. Because I, there's even a joke made where basically it's like Mary has to make all the first moves in their relationship. But you kind of you, you got a feel for Nicholas because his whole family dynamic with his grandfather, I'll talk about that in a second. But I mean, like, it's kind of different. It's fucked up. And of course, it's at Christmas time. We also meet their boss, who is a Jewish meat store owner. Um, actually I did read somewhere and I don't know, there might've been one or two actors that weren't, but for the most part, most of the actors in this movie are Jewish, which is really kind of funny considering it's a bunch of Jewish people making a Christmas movie, but who the fuck cares because it's gold. Um, but yeah, so we meet Nicholas, we meet Mary, we meet their boss and then from there we go to nicholas's house and we meet his grandfather played gloriously by robert culp uh grandpa basically reminds me of the grandfather in terror vision if you've seen that film uh because he's got the hidden bunker in the basement and it it just reminds me of terror vision with grandpa who had his bunker in the basement and was totally all about survival and it's like Again, a nod to a film that came out before. You know, I had mentioned the nod to Gremlins. Here's a nod to Terrorvision. Uh, we do find out, obviously, that, you know, with Gramps, there's more than meets the eye. We find that out later. But for now, we're introduced to him, and he's basically, you know, in the town of Hell. Um, Hell, Michigan, maybe? Um, but, yeah, everyone thinks he's the local cuckoo. <laughs> they might not be completely wrong, though. But, oh, fuck Robert Culp is a gem in this movie. And then, like, the whole thing with Nicholas, he doesn't celebrate Christmas much, mostly because Gramps doesn't, because Gramps has something going on with Santa Claus. He's not, you know, he he's just not keen on Santa Claus. And like I said, you find out later why. But because of the whole Nicholas-Grandpa thing, and Mary is very much about Christmas, and... She kind of slips up and says, Merry Christmas to Grandpa, knowing that he's not into it. And, you know, at the same time, her father is totally like NRA. Oh, my God, I own my own bazooka. I'm going to fucking shoot down Santa Claus with it and stuff like that. And Nicholas is against that. So there's a little bit of rift that comes between them. Sort of the typical uh, cliche in every movie. You know, the two protagonists fight before they get along and save the fucking day. But I mean, none of that matters once Santa comes because once he once he's in this film, it's this movie's ridiculous. Let me, i mean, think about it. You have everything from the story of Santa is Santa is Satan's offspring. Okay, he's the son of Satan, who loses a bet to an angel who back then was playing himself as a human. And the bet that Santa loses is in a game of curling. So fucking Canadian. A game of curling. Come on. <laughs> and Santa loses that bet. So for a thousand years, he has to be a good guy. And jolly man in a red suit. Giving kids their little gifts. And, you know, all of a sudden a thousand years is up in 2005. And poof, on with the slaughterama! And Santa is just on a merry little slice and dice tour everywhere from a strip joint to where test tickler is performing to like the Jewish deli where he kills the meat store owner with a fucking, uh, what is Uh, a menorah? (laughs) I mean, wait, what? Um, and let's not forget about his gorgeous white Buffalo. Yes. His hell deer, as he calls it. Um, you know, that has a red fucking nose like Rudolph. Really? Like, and this buffalo this white buffalo this hell deer whatever you want to call it, snacks on a parking valet um he drives a fucking woman who's let's face it she's driving erratically like a moron but you know back and forth on fucking two lanes and santa's like get the fuck out of my way And this buffalo just runs her off the road straight to her death you know um Again, with the references, there's a reference to the Necronomicon in this fucking movie. There's a reference made to uh, Grandpa got run over by a reindeer joke because of the Hell Deer. You know, there's so much. Yet, okay. In all of this, in all of the ridiculousness, how many of you watch this movie and notice that Santa takes his hat off every time he enters a building? He has manners. He's the fucking son of Satan, yet he still has fucking manners. He has more manners than most people in this world. The amount of times that you have people cut you off and they don't say sorry, or people don't hold doors for people anymore, or people don't take their hats off when they go into someone's house. Santa's got fucking manners. Santa also fucking wipes down a stripper pole and sanitizes it before he kills everyone. I mean, there's just some fucked up weird shit in this. And enough, he's got more one-liners in this movie than he's got good children on his nice list. I, there's a fucking animation sequence, done like a Rankin and Bass cartoon, like like Santa Claus is coming to town or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's halfway it's halfway in the movie and explains the backstory to our satanic slasher Santa. Like this movie is a fucking scream. And there's no reason to watch this if you aren't going to go in with the right humor and just have fun with it. If you're going to nitpick, then don't watch it. Okay. Because this movie is meant to be ridiculous. Something else that I love about this movie. I love movies with a killer Santa Claus. Absolutely love them. There are so many of them. And what at silent night, deadly night, deadly games all through the house, Christmas evil. I've talked about these movies. I love the idea of a killer Santa. The one thing that this one does differently is this Santa, he doesn't have a form of PTSD or a mental illness that sets him off. He's the son of fucking Satan. That's all he needed. That's all he... Ha- That's the only drive he needed to go on a fucking killing spree, killing all innocent children and adults and everything else. Fuck, thank you. you we know, don't have some, you know... Not, don't get me wrong. I, I love all those stories. But at least this one, his, his motive is... Purely just because he's a part of Satan, you know? And he loves mutilating the masses, and I love him for it. Um, But then, okay, with all those movies that I just mentioned, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Deadly Games, Christmas Eve and whatnot, all of those, they have their humorous moments, but in all honesty, I think some of that humor was unintentional. This one on the opposite hand, it's going straight for the jugular. It wants you to laugh. It, it's, it's crude. It's vulgar. It's meant to be that way. And that's a credit to both writer and director David Steinman. Like I said, it's a goddamn shame he hasn't done more because he's very, very clever with this movie. Um, I seriously wish he would have done more. And while I have already talked about him a bit, I really do want to take one little second here to tip my Santa cap to Bill Goldberg, because, okay, I said I I discovered this movie maybe about five years ago, right? If you would have told me years ago that I was going to love a movie with a wrestler like Goldberg playing Santa Claus, probably would have thought you were nuts. And like I said... Found out about it five years ago. Decided, okay, you know what? Let's see what the craze is. Let's see what the fucking hype is. And all I could think of after I finally saw it was, why did I wait so fucking long? Bill is having the time of his life in this movie. And it shows. And it glows like hell deer's red fucking nose. But Bill Goldberg just chews up the scenery. And then on top of that, you have Santa. Okay, What I love about it is he totally embraces the fact that, yes, he's a wrestler. Santa's doing fucking wrestling moves to people. Like, he's just having such a great time with this. Um, So he brings his wrestling ability to it. He brings the hammy dialogue to it. And he's bringing some yuletide fear. And I absolutely love it. And, again, Robert Culp, he's a joy in this. I got to say Douglas and Emily both here's the thing about them they are not annoying in this movie sometimes you you get those movies where they'll have the annoying couple that they're having their their relationship problems and it sort of detracts from the rest of the movie this doesn't um, they do have their their little squabbles they have their issues but at the same time they are likable people. They're likable characters. You you like them enough that you want to see them live to see another day. Especially while Santa is heading out to Winnipeg for vacation, apparently. But it, 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 the acting in this, I mean, and that's pretty much all you need. You need to know that you have Goldberg, you have Douglas, you have Emily, and you have Robert. And... They're pretty much the four that are the focus on this. Like I said, the Mason family at the beginning is a joy to watch. There are critics out there that have not had as much fun with this. They they didn't go in with the right mindset, and I honestly think that's it. You know, some people are like, "Well, this didn't do anything to further the genre." Wait, what? What? how are we furthering what genre with this like it's a fucking horror comedy that takes place at Christmas but the thing is is I'm gonna focus on some of the comments that have been made by critics that you know what they did get it for example like Santa Slay stands out as one of the ultimate Christmas B-flicks for my time it's no Jack Frost or Jack Frost 2 but it does have a couple inspiring moments that was by Ryan Cracknell um Todd Martin of HorrorNews.net he liked the film he wrote you know what it isn't perfect and there are movies when it's a little er, there's time sorry when it's a little too corny for its own good but overall it is just a fun brainless movie that has a ton of violence in it exactly why do we need movies constantly to have some great brainiac message no fuck off it's just stupid it's cheap it's goofy but it's surprisingly smart and endlessly entertaining, says David Cornelius. Podcast zero rating for this movie. I'm going to make this quick. It's crazy. It's campy. It's a B-movie holiday joy. Goldberg, Goldberg rocks. Okay? I never liked Goldberg as a wrestler. Honestly. I used to watch wrestling just as much as the next guy. I didn't really care for Bill Goldberg. that's probably why even when I first heard about this movie, I was kind of like, do I really want to do this? Like, do I want to watch this? The kill scenes in this are fun. And if not for the gore, then for the one-liners that accompany with those moments. I mean, it's, you know how like Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger, some some people really enjoyed the one-liners he included with his kills. Some people not so much, but that's kind of what you get with this, except it's Santa Claus. And it's the movie's quick paced never overstays its welcome. Like I said, it's what? 78 minutes long. It's 80 minutes tops. That's awesome. Perfect. Thank you. We don't need a three hour fucking movie. It's short enough to watch and not feel like you're watching the 10 fucking commandments. (laughs) It's clever. It's satirical. It's just dumb fun in the most outrageous score. You may hear this movie ever receive eight slaying and slashing sleigh rides out of 10. Yes, it's an 8 out of 10 for me. I'm not going to lie. And I know the movie's not perfect. I don't want it to be. It's just pure fucking fun. And I have to give massive thanks to TJ the drummer for requesting it. Because you know what? Not that I wouldn't have done this movie. But a listener request means I have to do it. And it was like, okay christmas 2021 that movie's getting added to the slate and i'm glad i did it it's so much fun with every watch i find i love the movie more and more and more and i i knew doing this episode i was gonna have a blast so on that note i want to thank everyone for returning thank you for listening thank you by the way for making this probably one of the best years i've had in podcasting I am consistently now having more and more downloads every episode, and I love you all for it. If you're new to the show, welcome, and hopefully I don't offend you too much, (laughs) and if you are a consistent listener, say like TJ the drummer, um, thank you so much for always sticking it out and being around, because I do enjoy doing this show. I know sometimes I might sound like I gripe and rant a lot like an old grandpa, but... (laughs) No, sometimes it's just you know put something out in the ether and see how people react um in terms of tj the drummer i do want to mention you can find him uh doing some things on the internet as well he has a youtube channel and a twitch channel uh both can be found at tj underscore the underscore drummer so make sure to check him out and subscribe to his channels um I know his YouTube channel, he does, like, unboxing videos for, like, wrestling loot things, or... Oh, he did one for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles loot box, I think it was, or something. He does, like, some really cool videos on there, and plus some drumming videos and whatnot, so it's definitely cool to check him out, and Twitch? He's on there sometimes. Um, like me, he's a midnight worker as well, so yeah, schedules sometimes can be a trick. I get it. So find him on Twitch and you never know you might catch him on there sometimes he plays a lot of like retro games from like the 2000s and whatnot, and it's always fun to watch so check that out I also want to make one little uh, uh, sort of not an announcement but I want to wish a friend of mine a happy birthday she's been a friend of mine for well over a decade now and uh She's been one of my best friends of all friends that i've had um, one that actually understands me and that's a few and far between I know a lot of people and don't get me wrong I get along with a lot of people it's not that but there's <laughs> I always get that you're weird you're odd with her never she totally gets it right from the get go she's another uh oddball like me, so I wanted to say happy birthday danielle uh, my friend from down under because she's awesome and it's really cool because I'm actually recording this on her birthday. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. It worked out perfect. I'm doing that. So happy birthday to Danielle. As for the show itself, you can find it obviously wherever you're streaming podcasts, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Google, FM player, podcast addict, Podbean. the list goes on. Most major streaming, like podcast streaming apps have the show now uh, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, what lurks behind podcast zero Instagram, same thing, Twitter at WLB podcast zero next episode, which might be in two weeks. Just warning you, uh, due to work schedules, I may not get to recording next weekend. So this one may come two weeks from now, right in time for Christmas. Uh, But anyways, the movie I'm doing is the original Home Alone. Ah, And you're like, John Hughes? Really? No. Um, John Hughes, there's always been sort of this controversy, I guess, sort of a debate online. Whether or not he lied about something. There was a movie from 1989 that was released in France. It was at the Cannes Festival. And John Hughes apparently was on vacation at the time. He was on a European vacation at the time that this movie was in the theaters. He returns back home to the United States and 18 to 20 months later, Home Alone exists in the United States with that annoying Macaulay Culkin but let's face it, we all love the movie because of Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. They fucking rule. Anyways, this movie just seems a little too much like Home Alone, but came before. It's a movie from France, as I stated, known as 36.15 Dial Code Père Noël. Also known as Game Over. Also known as Deadly Games. Deadly Games is probably the name that it's most commonly known for. So I'm going to talk about that next week or, well, not next week, but next episode. I want it to be next week's episode. I just don't know if I'll have the time. I'm really hoping I will, though. If not, two weeks from now, we'll get this episode in. And I want to talk about it because, one, it's a great movie. Two, there's a lot of funny stuff I can talk about. Three... It's another Killer Santa Claus movie. So, notice the theme this year. Uh, pretty much every Christmas movie I've talked about has been about a Christmas fucking uh, Killer Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> all Through the House, uh, this one today, Santa Slay, and now, next up, you know, Deadly Games. I'm looking forward to talking about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, for this week's episode, we're going to go out with a song. It's actually kind of a local song for... Those of us around here uh, by the Jim Diamonds Pop Monsoon song that was used in Santa sleigh called Christmas in Detroit. You can actually download it from Bandcamp. It's a free download. Uh, they don't charge anything. And as a matter of fact, even in their write up, it even says was a song made for a Christmas movie that uh, the song was never released. So here it is on Bandcamp free to download. So we're going to end off with that. I think I've talked quite a bit. I think, uh, you're probably all sick of my voice now. I'm pretty sure I can name one person who is. You need to shut the fuck up.
0: Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. Christmas in Detroit, down with a style the Straits so of Gibraltar to the tip of the lion. Christmas in Detroit, check it and see. It's a family reunion, just as picking me. Can mean. Christmas in Detroit, it's gonna blow your mind. Santa don't have nowhere to park his sleigh. With the crumbling rooftops and the urban decay. Ain't got no chimney to crawl down. Shoot him down, Christmas in Detroit. Check it and see, it's a family reunion Just ask Mick and me Christmas in Detroit It's gonna blow your mind